1: I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right
2: one for our country and all our people.
3: What has been achieved today is not
1: Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively.
0: Brexit is a lose-lose situation.
1: We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy.
0: Hello and welcome to Brexit, The Final Countdown. Uh, This week it is a total honour to welcome Martin Daubney, MEP for the West Midlands, to our on Humboldt podcast. Hello, Martin.
3: (laughs) Always a pleasure.
1: Hello from Brussels, the belly of the beast.
0: (laughs) Hello. Um, And you're sitting next to, hopefully, Joe Barnes, our Europe editor. Yes, I'm here in the
1: belly of the beast as well.
0: (laughs) And in the studio we have a holiday mode, Paul Baldwin, our head of news. Hello. What a cool bunch of dudes, as uh, Boris Johnson would call you. Um, chaps, we've got 99 days until Brexit. We've got so much to count down to, so let's begin. Um, okay, so it was a great festival of democracy yesterday. Boris Johnson was crowned the new leader of the Tory party and as our new Prime Minister um, after 160,000 Tory members who were eligible to vote uh, voted, with Johnson claiming 92,000 votes, which is about 0.13% of the population. Excellent stuff, eh? What a mandate.
2: Well, uh, he, let's be fair, give the, give the man credit. He, uh, he, he won by two-thirds to a third, mm-hmm. and that is the way we choose to do politics, and that is the way the system is set up. Blame the system, not the man. <laughs> Martin, over to you. Well,
1: I, think the, I think the question for Martin and the Brexit party is, is Boris Johnson, is he a dud or is he a dude? Well, I mean, I've been saying for
3: ages, I'm an MEP, get me out of here. You know, if he's true to his word and he delivers a Brexit that's an actual Brexit, not a kind of Theresa May's treaty, version to the pig with lipstick deal. You know, if we get a proper Brexit, the is recognise, and if it means that I get my P45, then I'll be happy. You we know, are wondering
2: what you might be doing for work on November the 1st, actually, Martin. <laughs>
3: well, I'll be knocking on your door. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> to make a good impact today, and I'll get a nice little broadcasting gig. <laughs> but on a serious point, honestly, you know, if, if Boris delivers on this... Then great. Now that's what we want. I wish him every luck. But make no mistake, uh, if he doesn't deliver a Brexit on Halloween, then the Brexit party is going to haunt him. Pun intended.
2: What, what's your gut feeling on whether he will or indeed can deliver?
3: Well, the, the, the rumblings over here aren't supportive. And as far as you know, they're making it quite clear, there seems to be very, very little, if any, wiggle room on, on renegotiating a trade deal, any sort of exit agreement. Uh, which looks like a no deal, but I wonder if he's got the guts to actually do that. You know, Theresa May let us down 108 times, and I wonder, I hope somebody out there has been counting the number of times that Boris has promised that we will be out by October 31st. I think uh, I'll Gordon, get somebody what, on that
2: this morning, <laughs> Martin. There
3: he's we been go. saying a
0: lot, but then yesterday he said, wouldn't it be great if we did leave? There was. Now,
3: I know that you know, where I've stood in the West Midlands already, there's massive kind of um, lack of believability, lack of trust in. in, in Boris, and they were saying to me all the way along, I was in the, in the heart of Tory country, I was in the heart of Labour country, and they all said a different leader won't make any difference. They don't believe these people anymore. And let's not forget Boris voted Theresa May's deal th- through on the third time, despite calling it the worst deal in history, as we said from the very, very beginning. So, there's is that not a Boris's
2: kind of shtick, though, that people don't believe politicians it, anymore?
3: Which is just making the right moves and the right noises, to get the vote, and and to be honest, to to keep the Tory party alive, because they are at a a kind of existential crisis moment. And is he lying to to, to just save his own skin and save the party? Well, he's done it before.
0: Martin, what would you prefer for him, to deliver Brexit or for you guys to have a general election?
3: You know, it's a tough one, that, because obviously we want a proper Brexit, but that's the point. What's
0: What's a proper Brexit?
3: Well, it's not being tied to the customs union. It's not being tied to ongoing costs. I think it was close to $16 billion in the year to March 31st, which has gone up 20% because our economy has improved. So the better we do, the more we pay. And I've been in committee meetings where I'm seeing how this, this money is being carved up and sort of being dished out across the poorer countries. We are literally paying for other people's um, furtherment, other countries' advancement, which is great if you believe in the European project. But, of course, we don't. Now, back to Brexit or an election, well, I don't think we're going to get an election before the 31st. But, I mean, a lot of people are saying that we will, but I, I just think that it's too dangerous for, for, for Boris to go down that route. If that does happen, then, then the Brexit party will be standing. And we've identified a bunch of, of absolutely winnable key seats for us, um, many of those across the Midlands and the North.
2: Well, what are the chances, um, Donald Trump last night was saying that he thinks Nigel will work well with the British um, Trump, whatever he was calling him. What are the chances of a, of a kind of backroom deal between Boris and Nigel then?
3: Well, I mean, Boris has been quite vocal about the fact that that isn't an option. But then again, you know, political survivalism probably means that, you know, when push comes to shove, if that moment arose, then it would be a sensible thing to do. Certainly, Nigel is, is saying that he'd be prepared to talk because if this is in the best interests of the country. And, you know, we need to make sure that the right people are in the key roles because we can't have remainers you know, remainers posing as Brexiteers anymore. The public won't buy it. The country won't buy it. And the EU will just trammel over these people. You now, we have to come back with, with proper conviction, with proper Brexiteers who actually mean it and their hearts are in it. And of course, Nigel is at the very top of that list. And we know that Donald Trump loves him. We know they'd have a great relationship together. But I think that will be something that the, the Conservative Party will have to concede to later down the line. And they will only do that when they're trying to save their own skins. What
1: what Boris needs to be really careful with is while he's striving to renegotiate Theresa May's deal to bat the lipstick, as Martin called it a minute ago, um, he needs to essentially show that he's not going to just fold into Donald Trump. So there was a moment um, at the G7 in Quebec last year, when Theresa May actually stood up for Europe against Donald Trump and his kind of trade rhetoric and that won over people like Emmanuel Macron and Mark Rutte, and that actually enabled her to get a little bit more. So I think Boris has to what he has to look at is if he's going to pick a side, if he wants to get more out of the EU and leave with a deal, he's going to maybe have to put his relationship with Trump to the side for a
2: minute. I, I agree entirely, actually, Joe. I think uh, that's what we was saying last week. He needs to he needs to go back into Brussels swinging, I think, and he's got to focus exactly on. Um, Wrong-footing them. I, I said last week, I think we need the Boris Bull in the EU-China shop. We had enough of kind of um, playing everything by the book and the and the EU seeing us come in sort of ten moves ahead. The, they will fear that they won't know his next move. <laughs> they won't know his next thought because he doesn't do it by the book. And I think that might be quite a useful weapon right now.
3: Uh, and I do agree at that point that having Trump... Kind of staple to that deal is beneficial. You talk about the firm, the China shop. Imagine if it's Trump is the guy on the, on the back doing the rodeo jump. Yeah, you, st- know, <laughs> you know this point. he he's an engineer of chaos, and and the point is to have him in your corner. You know makes it just that little shade more unpredictable. A little bit more edgy. And,
2: yeah, I I, I do yeah. think we've had so many career civil servants working on this deal that the other side have been able to see everything sort of telegraphed ten moves ahead and been more than happy to sort of head everything off at the pass and, and, and when we are where we are now, where they have had to make an example of us and, and really want us to be this kind of snivelling dog on the, shore, on, on the shoulder of Europe, you know, happy to get sort of every crumb from the EU table. And I don't think Boris is going to wear that. I think we're going to see a little bit more smiling, snarling and, and bearing of teeth from number 10.
1: Also, I was literally after Johnson was announced as our next Prime Minister, as he's elected nominated or appointed today, a... Matt, very familiar with Brexit negotiations, texted me within seconds and said, look, if Boris rips up the withdrawal agreement, then the UK leaves without a the deal. There's no, no deal, there's no standstill transition, just no deal. So I think what we're going to start getting from now is a, a message from the EU that, come on, we don't want you to be unpredictable. So it's, this is what I'm saying. I think Boris Johnson has the gamble to take. Does he side with Trump? and which is the unpredictability? Yeah. Or does he actually try and sit down with Brussels and negotiate our way out? Yeah.
2: Martin, what's your thoughts on no deal? Good idea, bad idea, going to happen, not going to happen?
3: Uh, well, we've said all along, you know, a kind of WTO, clean break Brexit is, is what we stand for. It's the only Brexit that I think now is what Brexit was promised as all that time ago. You know, we've had this, this endless debate about, well, nobody, was, nobody voted for no deal, but we voted to leave. And the Treaty, Theresa May's Treaty, or a re-cooked version of that, isn't leaving. It's leaving in name only. So I think it's, it's kind of become the default position that most people think is, is what we just have to get on with. And you know, while that may carry some turbulence, I think people now see that as a price worth paying, certainly in the leave camp. And it's been really interesting to watch from Brussels how this has been playing out in the UK media. have gone into a spasm, a sort of death rattle. It's like they've had this three-year period of, of denial and grieving. And now as the end game approaches, they're absolutely losing their minds. You know, they're, they're, any, any sense of hiding their bias has all but evaporated as, as this becomes an inevitability, a, a reality. And I think bring it on because I think not only did Brexit kind of break politics, but it's, it's broken the, the traditional media and the Express, you know, for sticking with um, the people on this. We've seen a lot. We've seen lots of the media out there and just taking the side of, of, of the establishment. So, you
2: know, well done, guys. I think we have seen the uh, Independent this morning coming out with its usual uh, ability to completely misread the British public, uh, saying it's a politics darkest hour, something this morning. Did you not see Glastonbury?
0: Yeah, well. Did you not see what they all chanted? Well. I think there are enough people who are finding <laughs> this pretty dark, not only hot, but also pretty dark. Um, OK, so we've got three chaps on the line who are all calling for a more chaotic Brexit, because I think, yeah, the three years weren't chaotic enough, were they? So I think, yeah more confusion, more unpredictability. That will definitely <laughs> deliver Brexit on Halloween. The poetry keeps coming. Um, okay, what do you do with Jeremy Hunt, chaps? He was the he did the second best yesterday. He's a
2: benches. That's, that's all from now. Do you think, afraid, Yeah.
0: Martin, what would you do with him? You're the most diplomatic person on this call. <laughs>
2: so mean.
3: Well, I mean, you know, you, you could say that he, he did a good job, he put a good case for it, he seemed very sensible, he seemed very boring, he seemed like a civil servant, he definitely, definitely didn't seem like a leader, and um, would he be rewarded? I mean Boris was very flattering, wasn't he when when he when he beat him yesterday, saying he fought a clean fight um but you know we have to be sure um of getting key people in who are, are proper committed brexiteers. I think that's the issue you know rewarding jobs for the boys because they were nice to you and, and they're a good team player when they're remainers. I think we'll just we'll, we'll just reignite you know the the flames that people don't believe that this is a truly committed brexiteer how he, how he
2: picks his cabinet is crucial, isn't it to the to the next stage of the game, really.
3: Between now and the weekend, we're going to really see the, the proper future of this Conservative Party. You know, if they start weeding in the, the Remainers again, I think people are going to really smell the BS very quickly.
2: Yeah. Good.
0: If only we could have ten pretty Patels, eh? That would be great. <laughs> we, that would, That's really what we need. Well, I think Every, we could, everyone hanging from the trees. I think we, we can be assured
2: after? of Wad, can't we? Whether she's <laughs> home secretary or whatever, yeah.
1: But we're looking at the public-facing team, but Boris is on manoeuvres already to kind of put together his backroom staff. And one kind of name floating around today is Dominic Cummings, yeah. who run the Vote yeah. Leave campaign. And he's, he's apparently coming in to basically run, help run Boris's office, um, which I think is a, a brilliant move because he's, he's a truly, whatever you think of him, is a truly kind of brilliant thinker and brilliant mind when it comes to strategy. So it'd be handy
2: to have one of those in the mix somewhere, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> exactly. So, And whether he can then start kind of drumming up and motivating kind of MPs from behind the scenes to, to start getting their kind of arse in gear, then we might, we might just
3: see some movement. And that, that will send the conspiracy theorists into overdrive, won't it? You know, to see that guy swoop back in and how long before they're talking about Vladimir Putin's money. I mean, it's going to be glorious to watch the media and social media if, if that happens, because that's when they're, they're kind of, their heads will start rotating, because they will know that, that we are truly approaching the endgame of Brexit.
2: Martin, just just a slight aside. Just wondering when you when you walk into a meeting room in Brussels as a, as a, uh, a British um, MEP, do people bristle? Do the do, do the other members bristle because of who and what you represent?
3: Yeah, they do. Um, and funnily enough, it's mainly the other British MEPs. We've that made made very few friends, it's fair to say, in the Liberal Democrat camp who like to take photographs of our chairs when we're not in them in Parliament. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> you know, all of that. Um, The that, we have some allies, um, and certainly the, a lot of Italian allies, Polish, some Hungarian guys. Uh, but what's interesting to, to watch, particularly in the Kikki meetings, is, is how we're all voted out of any positions. Um, so, so there was meant to be true representation across the committees from all parts of the political spectrum. And at the last minute, these people are voted down. Um Supri, another Europhile, replaces them. And we, ha- we have a completely biased system over here. It's truly astonishing to, to witness it. I mean, people like Joe have been here a while. This is commonplace. Like, you know this, but we're all newcomers. And in many senses, that's been a joy because we've been able to share these stories with our, with our voters and our followers back home. Yeah, yeah.
0: Tell us about them, please. We love hearing about the, um, the gravy train.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it's just abundant. I mean, in Strasbourg, there's a €15 Euros silver service eat-all-you-can buffet. And believe me, they don't call it the two-stone term for nothing. <laughs> But there are people there that, that they're going to need a winch out of that building <laughs> you know, after four years. They, they are talk about snouts in the trough. It's yeah. a literal section of that. They're wheezing under the weight of their free iPads and all their free stationery. So do you, do you bring uh, a packed lunch
0: then, Martin? I'm assuming you don't touch any of it. Is that right?
3: <laughs> I, I, I've been greatly encouraged by Brexiteers to, to, to milk this for all it's worth. Oh. So tell us about your expenses. <laughs> well, no, are no, are they really
2: not? as ridiculous as, uh, as Nigel says?
3: Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, you, you can, there are lots of legitimate things to spend them on, which of course is what everyone does. Okay. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's more to the point of you turn up each day. The other day we voted on um, extra plenary committees, that what it's called. This is where you basically go around the world spreading the EU's mission. It's a bit like a Christian missionary
2: <laughs> mission
3: right, okay. from centuries ago. We're spreading the EU to like Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. They took a vote on should we be taking part in these in the next five years, and the Brexit Party were the only MEPs in the entire place. To vote against it that took 47 seconds and that was a day's work 320 euros for 47 seconds work to vote for three more the local wow. holidays and fine emissions for the next five years that's 320 you know,
2: euros in expenses on top of the wage right
3: precisely so you draw yeah, okay. your salary so for 47
2: seconds enough. work wow oh,
0: someone paul getting does. a better deal than you paul you could <laughs> it. oh my goodness
2: <laughs> i missed a trick
0: but so just back to sort of the brexit yes, stuff sorry um We've you guys are calling for kind of the, the chaotic, unpredictable approach, but realistically, what chance has Boris got of getting what you would define as a proper Brexit now? So, like, have we got the time to to renegotiate something that's more palatable? You know, who, what's his approach going to be? Is he got he's got to kind of he's got to get a deal through the Commons? So does he does he go kind of full sexy? hardcore Brexit to get it through that way? Or does he try and do something softer to appease our Remainers? And what's the chance that he's going to get anything different that Theresa May got after her three years, very studied managerial approach to Brexit?
1: Well, I I can have some insight onto this. Um, So often the EU saw Theresa May as the person they trusted, but they didn't ever trust her to get anything through Parliament. They don't trust Boris Johnson, but they trust him to deliver a deal. So they might be more, if he kind of keeps them buttered up, gives them like kind of the nicer is, they might be inclined to give him more than what Theresa May was ever given. So they may they bury the backstop in more kind of joint interpretive statements promising that it's never going to come into fruition, timetables setting out when and where we can implement kind of the alternative arrangements on the Irish border and such. But what is clear is everything that is going to happen is going to work inside the current deal. So Michel Barnier said yesterday, we look forward to working constructively with Boris Johnson when he takes office to facilitate the ratification of the withdrawal agreement and achieve an orderly Brexit. He said, we are also ready to rework the declaration on a new partnership in line with the European Council guidelines. So they see their bait to MPs from Europe. is They were were straight
2: in there as well, weren't they, as soon as it was announced? basically saying no this this change is nothing yeah. but I think it does I think you I think there's the the thing about Boris is that don't underrate this kind of enig- enigma that surrounds him the, the kind of uh, it's, it's a similar thing with Nigel Farage as well he can and uh, Bill Clinton used to have it as well he can convince people just by dint of his own sort of um uh personality I guess you know force of personality the
1: only thing that Boris Johnson... Is going to be offered by Brussels is a, another work around the current withdrawal agreement and the backstop. That's that their set for, for keeps. So they're never going to throw Ireland under the bus at this stage, and Ireland wants the backstop to be there. so But if Boris wants to leave with a deal, he's going to have to add as much lipstick to the current deal.
0: <laughs> it's worked for me for so long. Well, actually, it hasn't at all, but um, it's something I try. <laughs> OK, so we've got a new Lib Dem leader. Congratulations, Joe Swinson. We have a new Tory yeah. leader. Should we just, why stop there? Should we get a new Labour leader on Earth is happening over in Corbyn Corner?
3: I am a lifelong Labour voter. Yeah, <laughs> Until this recently.
2: is interesting, yeah.
3: You know, all I can say is that Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party bears literally no resemblance to the party of, of my life. You know, my, my dad, the coal mining community I'm from in Nottinghamshire, do not recognise this, this, this metropolitan idiot. And that's what he is. You know, he does not speak to ordinary people. Um, I think the Labour Party's best chance of having a fight at the next election is to replace Corbyn. But that's not going to be allowed to happen because of how they conduct their leadership campaigns. So I think he's, he's our best gift at the moment. You know, the Brexit Party and the Conservative Party in the marginal seats across the Midlands, they all want Corbyn to be there because all you've got to do is knock on a door... And tell people his position on Brexit, which is non-existent, or they're they're steering towards a a full remain with Watsons and the Thornbridge and the rest of the the Islington idiots.
2: I can't help thinking, Martin, that, um, I mean, you know, voices in the Labour Party keep calling for an election. I think they get absolutely hammered. I think they become the third party because I think the Lib Dems under uh, Joe at least have a position. And I think people can respect that. They may not agree with it, but they know what they're voting for with the Labour Party right now, you've no idea what you're voting for, so how can you vote for them?
3: At Brexit Party, HQ, you know, the people who are being put up in those Labour seats cannot wait to get knocking on doors. I mean, we just can't wait. It'd be like Harrod Sale or Wimbledon. We'll be queuing up, we'll be camping out to start this campaign because I think Labour will be eviscerated and they will deserve it.
2: You were talking about a, a kind of schism at the heart of the Tory party. I'm, I'm all right in thinking that there is one at the heart of the Labour Party, and I think you put your a sort of finger on it when you said you're from a mining community in the Midlands or the North, and the Labour Party seems to feel like, and I've said this before on this podcast, uh, a sort of cabal of Islingtonites uh, running the show, and that is problematic for Labour voters, I think. Is that, is that what you're sort of hinting at?
3: Absolutely, and it's, it's problematic for Labour MPs. I mean, look at Ashfield, where my mum lives. Know Gloria De Piero, uh, who was a frontbencher, you know, has stood down because she'd realised there's literally no point running as a, as a Labour MP in, in heartlands like that, where they would just get, you know, blown up. I mean, and they're falling, you know, traditional Labour communities are just falling back on the Tory vote because they think that's the only way of getting the job done in, in terms of Brexit. But then they thought that, that last election, look how Theresa May failed us. So this is where the Brexit party, I think, has a, has a key role to play. And at the very least, you know, it's our job to kind of keep Boris's feet to the flames, to make sure he delivers. We're going to be breathing down his neck for the next 99 days. And if we haven't got a job on November the 1st, I'll be happy with that. So long
0: as we're out. As long as we're out. Okay, Um, I I think you guys are being kicked out of your studio pretty soon, aren't you? So just to quickly summarize, um, because it's also Theresa May's very last day in office. Well, her last day at number 10 today, isn't it? Uh, Last PMQs, blah, blah, blah. So I would love to know, Martin, what you think was her career highlight and perhaps her career low light before we say goodbye.
3: Yeah, Theresa May's career highlight for me was her acceptance speech. Before I got into this mad game, I campaigned on men and boys' issues, and she mentioned in that speech two things very close to my heart. She mentioned uh, attacking and, and cutting male suicide, which is something I've campaigned on for years. She also vitally touched upon helping underperforming white working-class kids in schools, and particularly boys. And I thought, wow, we have somebody here who finally is listening to the heartlands of, of, of the forgotten communities, the, the, the locked who voted Brexit. I actually quite liked her robot dance as well.
0: <laughs> I, I
3: thought that she got, you know, I, I've, I've never liked dancing unless I've had some, how do you put it, assistance. Yes, indeed. That's the only time I've danced over the years. So fair her for that. I thought her final speech where she, where she cried out was, was it's interesting how, how the media said, oh, she finally showed some humanity. But to me, those crocodile tears just, just didn't wash. So I think she began brilliantly and ended terribly. And there was lots of bad stuff in between. And I feel personally aggrieved because I voted Conservative for the first time in my life for Theresa May because I believed it was the Brexit vote. How wrong I was and how wrong the Tories have done by the working classes and the Labour Party. So um, she started well,
1: ended terribly, not much good in between.
0: A bit like this podcast. Joe, briefly... Um,
1: so my favourite Theresa May moment was her confrontation of Jean-Claude Juncker in Brussels after, oh, yeah. after a late-night European Council summit. On one day, yeah. Yeah. Jean-Claude Juncker dis- dis- described us, yeah. Brexit and Britain as nebulous. Uh. And rightly so, Theresa May, with her handbag to create the her handbagging moment, <laughs> went and confronted Mr Juncker and gave him a stern telling off, oh, which wow. he looked very confused at. <laughs> Worse will be, for me, her handling of Brexit. She essentially, by allowing the EU to dominate the sequencing of saying that we need to first discuss the divorce bill, the backstop and citizens' rights before trade was even mentioned, basically handed kind of the EU far more, far more power than they really needed during the talks.
0: Mm. I'm going before Paul just to teach him a lesson on manners um, I thought her worst <laughs> moment was her response to Grenfell I think a complete lack of humanity and empathy and people are still not housed she didn't keep her promises and I think launching an investigation into it was the least she could do um, I thought her best moment was probably the economy but she probably owes quite a lot of props to that to Mark Carney and Philip Hammond so not great no girl power from me Paul finally
2: uh, I think the um, uh, the high point was leaving us with that enduring image of uh, a young tree that's skipping through a field of wheat <laughs> which <laughs> uh, you can't ever kind of unsee and the w- lowest point was pretty much everything she did from when she walked into number 10 losing, con- <laughs> losing control of Brexit losing control of the, the uh, various parties involved in Brexit from pretty much the go Yeah,
0: I feel like we could go around quite a few times oh, we on the worst bits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so chaps where will we be this time next week obviously apart from on this podcast
3: I'm going to be back in the UK helping interview Brexit party MP candidates so we're, we're flat out doing that we've done it for many many weeks We've got about another, another month to go. I'm in Wolverhampton on the 30th doing a Brexit party um, open night with Rupert Lowe and Andrew Kerr at Wolverhampton Racecourse from 7pm. Come along. there's, there's Excellent.
0: Of Never well, been to Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton Racecourse.
1: We're out there and we're gearing up for a general election.
0: Lovely stuff. Joe, where do you, what do you think will have happened?
1: Um, where will I be this time next week? Um, in Brussels waiting for Boris to come, maybe. but I doubt he will.
2: Or as we'll be analysing every move um, every that move. We'll that have, a then, we? We have a cabinet by then, uh, won't we? We'll have a cabinet by by the weekend, I think. Oh, well,
0: we have seen Carrie. That's really what I want to talk about.
2: Oh, that's well, his private life and it's going to remain private. Mm. Don't you know? <laughs> Said the uh, journalist of 30 years standing, yeah.
0: Chaps, it's been an honour and a privilege to share this, these 25 minutes with you. Martin, thank you so much for taking some time and talking to us. I'm Thanks, very Martin. grateful. Absolute
2: pleasure, thank keep, you. Keep thank up you the good much. work on yeah.
0: behalf of all of our readers.
2: Indeed, yes.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye,
3: chat.
0: Thank you for listening to Brexit, The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.